0: Hey you, listening to Deconstructor, a fun podcast again? Okay, well, we got some good stuff for you. Today, uh, the hosts are, well, as always, during the 14 episodes of before, myself, Michigan Katkoff, and Joseph Kim. We got Eric Kress returning three episodes now in a row. Eric is a heavy hitter when it comes to corporate strategy, capital markets research, business development, and investment banking. So he has a lot of good stuff for you. And we are talking today about Glue Mobile and more precisely, we're talking about two key articles and two key pieces. And that one is, you know, first of all, we're going to talk about the transformation that has been happening since Nick Earl took over. And then we're going to talk about the recent stock price plunge that occurred and whether that is something that, that the decline will continue during 2019 or whether it's something that the glue is going to bounce back from. So a lot of interesting um, pieces on that. As always, please do leave a comment. Uh, We have plenty of comments coming from you, especially feedback on how we can improve. Uh, One of a few of the people were asking about uh, timestamps. That's not going to happen, too much work. But (laughs) a few of you were also asking for links to the uh, the articles that were that that you that we are deconstructing and now the links have been added in the description of this episode so please go ahead click through and and um and enjoy those ones and as always please do leave more comments please rate this podcast and please subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you're you're using for listening this one that's all enjoy
1: Hello everyone and welcome to Twig 14. In this podcast, we're actually going to cover two articles today. The first actually goes back to an article um, posted in February of uh, February 25th. So much earlier this year that talks about glue's redesign in in terms of its headquarters and its strategy. And then more recently in October, there was an article that posted, uh, uh, that posted about glue stock plunging. And we'll talk about some of the potential reasons why the stock has gone down since then. Um, but ahead of that, I think um and today we we have our now becoming a regular guest, Eric Press, with us today. And I think Eric, you you wanted to make a few comments before we started, correct?
2: Yeah, I wanted to make a quick correction uh regarding the Zynga podcast, uh, the last one. You know, I characterize Bloomberg as a non-reliable source, which is actually very incorrect. Um it is very considered a very reputable source. And I think what likely happened with the leak of interest in, in Zynga is generally when when companies get unsolicited bids from a third party, the company or its bankers could leak that info to the press in order to get see if there was any additional interest in the company. I mean, we did this strategy when I was back at Montgomery, and um, you know, this is a really typical strategy for bankers, basically to start an informal process as opposed to uh, a formal process to sell the company. And... I still think that the deal is not likely and that Frank and the board feel that they can build more shareholder value as a standalone company. But again, as we all know, everything is, is for sale at the right price. Um, but I just want to make that clarification. Thanks.
1: Great. So today, uh, again, we'll be doing a deep dive in terms of glue. And let's start with uh, a brief recap or a brief Um, article brief of the first article, which is Glue Mobile Redesigns Its Headquarters and Its Strategy. And basically, this article talks about how Glue back in uh, February of this year moved into a brand new headquarters in San Francisco. So most of its staff is now under one roof. And um, in in terms of the fourth quarter financials from uh, the 2017 fourth quarter financials revenue was up so up 73% from a year earlier up to 80.2 million with a net loss of 39.5 million compared to 17.2 million from a year earlier and the biggest change was a change in management so they have a new CEO Nick Earl who replaced his longtime boss Niccolo DeMazzi and the company's uh, from an employee perspective is down to was was down in february to 548 employees from a peak of 850 from a couple of years ago. And so uh, VentureBeat interviews Nick Earl and their chief revenue officer, Chris Akhavan, who talk about their new strategy. And essentially, some of the key points from the article state that, for example, they, they, they put a lot of their teams and co-located them together. So three of their five studios are now in that new headquarters in SF with the remaining two studios, one being in San Mateo doing sports and the other, the Hollywood group in Toronto. And one of the the quotes that that was mentioned is they wanted to reduce logistical and structural complexity, and they were trying to get rid of the rest. They also admitted the celebrity model was not working out for them, except for Kim Kardashian. And so some of the other bets in terms of Katy Perry, Britney and Nikki just basically didn't work out. Um, And one of the... Uh, quotes from Nick Earl was that social following should have lightened that cost of ad- advertisement. And to that strategy, he said it was very understandable how Niccolo led that. So, um, kind of, <laughs> I-, I thought that quote was a little bit funny. But um, anyway, Akavon then talks about uh, their revised product strategy, which um, basically was around trying to find strong creative leaders and focusing more on great prototypes. Uh, So Akhavan also states that before they weren't doing a lot of prototypes and um, they were launching products before they were ready. Uh, They then also talk about emulating supercell, um, not all parts of supercell because they admit that no one can be supercell except supercell, but some of the aspects of the supercell culture like, you know, transparency and honesty, having an egoless culture and, similar to Ilka having their CEO be sort of the least powerful CEO and delegating to product teams. Uh, Nick Earl then mentions, um, you know, a big change in terms of being able to kill kill off more products without having to launch products even before they're ready or if they're not right. And so uh, again, uh, Nick, will, Nick then talks about how, you know, at some companies such as EA that, um, you know, they weren't able to, uh, kill products, or they have to launch stuff just just based on the culture and, and the structure there. Um, Nichol then talks about the creative leadership aspect, and, and he talks about bringing in a key creative leader named Mike Olson, who uh, basically was um, you know he claims to be responsible for turning Tiger Woods Golf from a twenty million year business to a hundred thirty million year business, and who also worked on The Godfather and also led Star Wars: Galaxy of Heroes. Um, There were a, other couple of interest, other interesting tidbits. They talk about Machine Zone and how Machine Zone fell down because people burned out and they lost a couple of key clans, which I thought was an interesting simplification of what happened <laughs> at Zone. <laughs> um, and then probably the other key point was around the, this notion of going lateral, but not, uh, or uh, about not going lateral but, but going deep. So. As an example, they talk about Kim Kardashian and then just trying to churn out a bunch of reskins of Kim Kardashian rather than doing sort of the Kabam strategy with Contest of Champions, which is to, like, take a game and just, just really deepen the monetization and make it as deep as possible. So, okay, so just in quick recap, uh, it sounds like the strategy, if I'm understanding this correctly, and Michigan Eric, please correct me if, if you, you saw something else, but um, one, it sounded like they wanted to simplify the org structure, focus on bigger hits. Um, they wanted to actually figure out game design before they started working on production, focus on more game prototypes. They wanted to bet on key creative leaders like Mike Olson. They wanted to emulate supercell culture, and they wanted to go deep, not lateral. So, Michigan and Eric, what do you guys think? Did I capture that correctly, and do you think this makes sense?
0: I want to I just state one thing. Um okay. I don't know how, but but they got so much space on TechCrunch. This article was literally eight pages. Like it was it, I'm not I'm not hating on it at all. It was really interesting to read, but it was the longest article I've ever seen on TechCrunch. Like you would assume machine learning or AI would get this much space, but Glue was able so so props to whoever is heading their communication because they have the best relationships with with TechCrunch. So so that's uh and I will link this article in the uh in this in this podcast description so you can marvel at at everything and just read through it but it is it is as much space anybody has ever gotten on on TechCrunch. So that's my first take.
2: <laughs> but
1: yeah, um Eric, did you do you have any thoughts?
2: You know, I I'm I'm going to go into a little bit more a little bit later in terms of kind of their overall uh, view, but uh, the strategy of creating development teams under one roof in San Francisco seems at odds with almost every other strategy that I've seen in the business. Um, Everyone knows how expensive it is in San Francisco. Competition or talent, Um, it seems much more makes much more sense to create a city-state model in more low-cost areas. That's the one thing that stands out to me.
1: Right, I I totally agree with you. And when we talked about Zynga last uh, during the last uh, Twig podcast, we, we mentioned that um, R and D for for other companies outside of of the U.S. companies that are here in San Francisco, like Zing and Glue, um, was thirty to fifty percent lower. So, Rovio, GungHo, Nexon, it's like you know um, the, the R and D as a percentage of, of revenue is like you know twenty percent relative to ten percent. And on top of that, I, I think that you know sales and marketing clearly, you know a higher percentage of revenue as well, and then culturally, I just feel like you've got great, like PMs and, and um, probably UA folks in the San Francisco Bay Area, but there's definitely kind of a mercenary culture here, and, and certain types of, of functions like. Game designers, for example, I, I think uh, are are much better in, in other areas of of, of the world. But, well, yeah, I, I'm, I, gonna, I'm gonna
0: I can counter that. I mean, I've yeah. you know just like you, Joe, I've I ran a studio in San Francisco, and I've worked in San yeah. Francisco for for over four years, uh, um, yeah. running game teams. And um, I have to say that that the talent you can okay. get, you know, you can get in in Bay Area is excellent. And of course, it, it costs more, but at the same time, you know, I'm running studio here in, in Helsinki now, so so it's not you know it's not cheap. Uh, of course, it's much cheaper when it comes to the personnel costs. but at the same time, you know, there's a lot of other type of costs that you have when you're running um, a studio in in um in Europe. You know, the social costs and whatnot they're they're pretty high, and they're even they're they're hidden away from the salary. So so when it comes to overall the cost of the team. Uh, I would say that that San Francisco can be, you know, shipping a game would probably take you twice the money on a good team. So if, yeah. if it would take, you know, between one and a fa- one and a half to to three three million to, to ship a game here, like a normal, we're not talking about you know crazy production values, but but a, you know an average game. Just if you can say an average game, that would be an average game. Then in, in SF, it would start from three, and it would be probably close. I mean, it can get up to twenty if you're if you're at ea or anywhere else where you have teams of 50 but but at the same time you know you you get you get good talent you can't argue that the engineers are phenomenal the, the people are really hungry and most of the people are quite young in the sense that they don't have family and they work super hard so so that's definitely a, a big pro that you don't get in in these more cozy areas of game development <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay you know, yeah I, I would make one more argument i think the risk of being part of, like you know, the head of the company, you know, in the belly of the beast is what I always called it. Is that uh, creative people just can't be creative? Like they can't do their own thing and have the flexibility of thinking outside the box because they're constantly being looked over the shoulder by management. And we saw that at EA, we saw that at Kabam to some degree. Is that the kind of a, underperforming studios for Robert Shores in San Francisco? Um, and I just worry that, first of all. Glue can't afford to make mistakes if it costs you know, between 1.5 and two times to make games in San Francisco. Um, and I just worry that they're not going to have the flexibility to build creative experiences that will actually you know do well in the marketplace.
0: I second Eric 100% on that. I uh, worked with, in companies and multiple times where I was in the HQ and when I was away from the HQ and in one of those satellite studios. And it's a it's a ground rule that the satellite studios are just better performing. And I think it's it, it there's there's this thing of like being afraid of the management, but I would say another thing is is the different type of fear, and that is fear of getting cut. Because if you're a studio somewhere, let's say Helsinki, you're so far away from the management, so if you're not delivering, they will cut you but at the same time if you're a team close to the management you know it's, it's they're kind of they're they're the boys around here so they're not going to cut them first so so that's that's kind of like my view so the, so the guys further away you know several time zones away are the ones who are trying harder
1: <laughs> okay so sounds like in terms of some of the other strategic uh, initiatives um that were mentioned by Nickeral and Chris Akivon, sounds like we think that those are you know, probably right, and and then there's there's some controversy here in terms of the focus on San Francisco. I, yeah, I I personally uh, don't like it, but um, you know, it d- definitely definitely you know um, a debatable topic for sure.
0: So so how about um, if we talk about this sort of a supercell structure, and and when we're talking about the supercell structure, we're talking essentially about investing into something without any. You know, any guarantees that something is going to come out? There's no, there's no ton of decks on them. Like, hey, we looked at the market and we see that, uh, but we we should go here because we're going to improve this or we can improve that. It's more of a, we we trust this team. They came up with a good idea. It's an interesting idea. They have a great prototype. Let's invest time into that and see what's going to come out. And and because when you're trying to make something new, when you're trying to make something genre defining. The biggest problem is not just the idea, the idea can be cool, but the actual execution, because you're not, because there's so many minor steps, everything from the UX to design, to the balancing, there will be huge hurdles along from, from the prototype to, to pre-production to production. And, and those are the ones that really cause the risk of never finishing the product. And and that's why, you know, that's why Supercell is not known for shipping ton of games because all the games are very aspirational, very difficult to finish. So right. that is a very, very interesting strategy for for um, for a public company, and then the article, Chris and Nick, they talk a lot about how they're financially set because you know, let's be honest, their 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 overall revenue is up by twenty percent year to year. Design Home is, is really steady; it has it has grown sixty percent last year alone. They got their you know their one off um, reoccurring hits, everything from MLB to. Um, do they have other tap sports games? I think MLB is is the one they used to have the tap football, but but the tap studio in San Mateo is is you know churning turning out great great games, uh, well monetizing, and then they even have this Kim Kardashian still still bringing tons of revenue out of out of uh, I believe it's run from Bangalore. Or, or uh, I think they have uh, some other India location. Maybe not Bangalore. It, was, it uh, was might
1: be Hyderabad. Hyderabad,
0: yeah, Hyderabad, yeah. That that's the that's the one. So, so they have they, they're talking about that they have this you know solid portfolio where they can take risks, and then and then they are taking these risks, and I think you know i think it's i think it's really interesting i think it's 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 what all the game developers want the every time you you talk to anybody they want they're they're talking like they want to work just like supercell works but but at the same time it's 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 really it's just really interesting uh i i don't know what do you think about this this approach
1: uh, I mean, I I agree with you. I, I think that, you know, it takes, a, you know, deep pockets and a lot of patience to, like, keep continuing to work on, um, you know, taking this longer term bet on coming up with a, you know, really massive hit. And it also takes the right creative team. And so, like, making these, these longer term bets and making sure that you've got the right team develop, uh, working against those bets because you know it could just be that you're you're working with uh, a team that's not good and you're just you know giving them a long time to make make a hit whereas you know you look at some of the bigger hits that we've had whether it's Hearthstone which took 6 plus years and Fortnite which took 6 plus years and then a the lucky pivot to you know Battle Royale that Roblox you know,
0: and everything
1: yeah it, it's some sometimes you know, I, I feel sorry for the company that bets on a team that's actually not the right team. <laughs> for Like six years, like, oh, oops, we made a really huge mistake. But, um, you know, and, and I, I think uh, just to be fair, Chris and Nick didn't say that they were going to try to emulate all parts of the super soft culture. Mm-hmm. But, um, you yeah, know, uh, I, they would I,
0: make themselves
2: obsolete if they
0: would.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, the supercell, supercell also had the advantage of making almost a, over a billion dollars a year and having the and like two hundred fifty to three hundred people, and they had the flexibility of prototyping and killing and prototyping and killing because they just had all this, this revenue, constant revenue stream,
1: being yeah. supported by UA yeah. and yeah.
2: marketing, et cetera, et cetera. They just, yeah. blue, just doesn't have that. You know, they have and one it, product. And right?
0: Eric is is definitely hitting the point because when 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 developers, when when other companies are talking about the supercell model, they kind of ignore the beginning of Supercell. Like what happened to the, the years before Supercell became Supercell? Right. You know, there was the game, there was the Gunshine game. There was the uh the couple of studios, the one studio that they had around here, you know, making the first mobile games, the fact that they were running out of money, the the lucky fact that they pivoted at the right time from browser to tablet, which then grew up significantly. And the fact that the first two games that were massive hits, Heyday and Clash of Clans, well, you know, especially Clash of Clans, it it wasn't that new new if you know what i mean like there are some some games that, that were pretty good benchmarks for it so so the the design at that point and the approach at that point was smart it was it was you know it was looking at the market it was looking at what makes the sense and it was really looking at the clock because you don't have indefinitely time where you're not making money you have 6 months to ship a game what are you going to do we have to make money go and then that pressure you know, created diamonds and, and, and the company has, has, you know, soared ever since. And of course, during these years, the approach has changed because when you have so much cash, it allows you to be so much more creative and, and take so many more risks. And as, as we've seen, Clash of Clans is going nowhere. The game is still growing. It's gigantic. Heyday hasn't probably gotten an ounce of marketing for the last five years. And that game makes, what, probably $150 million a year with a team of, I don't know, maybe five or seven. So, so they, they are in a phenomenal position. Uh, and, and, and of course, that gives so much more safety to kill 100 games. They can be killing games for the next 100 years, and there will be still money in the bank. So, so, you know, Yeah,
1: definitely a good point, Eric. And the other examples that I mentioned, whether it was Hearthstone with Blizzard or you know, Epic with Fortnite, those companies were in a position where you know, they didn't have to rush the product out. So 100% agreed in terms of, of, of that point okay should we move on to the next article
0: we can move on to the next article but all I want to say like towards the end is is just i I really um I do appreciate the model that glue is taking uh, I think um, I, which article are we moving by the way
1: uh so <laughs> so we're moving on to the article about uh glues stock and and uh, looking at why the stock plunged on October 8th
0: got it okay so yeah so all I want to say about this this model I think it's really interesting because at the same time even though it sounds crazy uh but it but it's all it also sounds like a game developer's dream like oh my god i can just prototype I, we have all these resources the management is not breathing up my neck i can work with the most talented people because the size of the teams you know as nick was was describing in the article is about you know to 15 to 20 even at max and it sounds great because you have everything set up you have this new beautiful studio uh you know it it, it sounds great it sounds great uh so so I think it could work. It could work if you if they can acquire the, the right type of talent and of course Mike Olson is a super smart guy. Has a history of of hits and and has been uh you know a game maker for probably like 20 25 years. So so more people like that they can they can create great teams and they can take those risks and and eventually I do believe that that if you have a great team and you have that flexibility and freedom to take risks, you you will succeed. I mean that's, you know, that's you're just... you're
2: speaking like a true studio person and you're basically a CFO nightmare. <laughs>
0: that's but that's that's what I am and I'm not a CFO's nightmare. I look at the bottom line. Come on, CFOs like me. But um <laughs> but but at the same time, you know, you can't it's it's just like it's the, what's your appetite for the risk? And it feels like Glue's appetite for the risk is quite significant at this moment. Because they do have that TAP Sports Studio. They do have the Crowdstar. They do have the Toronto and, and the Hyderabad that are, that are kind of like working on the low-risk stuff. So, so why not? I mean, I hope they succeed.
1: <laughs> okay. So moving on to the next article. This was an article by um, The Motley Fool. And it was published on October 8th. And the, the article is titled, Why Glue Mobile Inc. Stock Plunged Today. And essentially what happened is that Roth Capital, an investment bank, downgraded the stock to neutral from buy. And it, it actually fell quite a bit. So it went from over $7.50 uh, per share on October 3rd and then dropped to six thirty one. dollars 31 And uh, today it's sitting still at less than $6, which which is uh, against a market cap of about $820 million. And um, just to be clear, you know, in terms of this podcast, we don't care so much about short-term stock price fluctuations, but, you know, rather we want to just talk about the higher level macro trends or or how the market is potentially interpreting um, Glue's strategy or how Glue is doing. Um, And since that first article that we've talked about, you know, shares have soared. um, So year to date, like 98%. And primarily off of some of the key titles like Design Home, Tap Sports, Deer Hunter and Cooking Dash. And so, you know, that was the gist of the article, but a few key points in terms of, um, you know, it's strange why the stock dropped and why all of a sudden, you know, um, uh, Roth, for example, downgraded the stock. Because essentially the rationale that was given for downgrading the stock is that there was essentially no new news that, that the stock has gone up a lot and there was there a was lack of additional catalysts. So clearly it seems the market ha- had um, interpreted the new strategy and new management team favorably from the beginning of the year. But now it sounds like there's a little bit of, um, you know, hesitation or confidence in, in Glue. So with that, um, Eric, I know you in particular are very familiar with Glue. Um, it'd be great if you could drop some knowledge on us in terms of how we should interpret what's going on.
2: Yeah, I mean, Roth Capital's downgrade is kind of uh, is interesting because it basically claims there's no near-term catalyst for the company, and I agree. Like, there's no new games that are coming out that are going to help move the needle, um, and and you know a lot of the a lot of the stock movements likely on momentum because the stock market was going up, and now we're actually seeing some weakness across the tech sector in general, so they're starting to lose even more market share. And I guess what I would start with is I kind of consider Glue a really struggling company that had did an amazing acquisition, right? That's kind of where they're at right now. The former CEO, Niccolo, got Crowdcast for super cheap. I consider it like the second best acquisition in the mobile space to date from a valuation perspective, value perspective, uh, after Playdemic, you know, Golf Clash uh, that Warner bought. I mean, that was an amazing acquisition. Um you know, Quauxcus was acquired by Glue uh, based on Covet Fashion's revenues and for about 45 million with some earn out I believe. Um, and with the promise of Design Home. Since that time Design Home has made over 130 million um, and it is on track to be the biggest title ever for Glue, you know. So that's what's driving the majority of their upside right now is this acquisition um, done by Nicolo which is which was great, phenomenal. You know, oh, but yeah. historically Glue has had these has has had these boom bust cycles twice before it was first with deer hunter early in the, in the mobile cycle um and then with kardashian with deer hunter they became a prolific developer of some sniper based games and they made a million different sniper based games each one did worse than the last right <laughs> and then in in the kardashian time they built tons of celebrity games you know Nicki minaj taylor swift katie perry etc which kardashian was the only one that did really well the rest of them were kind of train wrecks right so each trouble, each time the company saw some success, but they struggled to replicate that success with subsequent launches, and the stock dip. While you know, rose to like six to seven, eight dollars, and then flew, went right back down to three to four dollars. You know, I think we're kind of in the midst of a third cycle. Um, the only difference here is that they're not really iterating on Design Home, and Nick, uh, you know, the new CEO, to his credit, is really supporting Design Home with tons of UA. Tons of resources to support live services, content updates, and et cetera, and they're doing a really good job of supporting that game. But there are some real fundamental issues with Glue that I think are behind the scenes, you know, in, in terms of um, you know issues with the company and why I think they're struggling. That kind of need to be addressed, right? And so the one is what we talked about before is the San Francisco office doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I think a lot of the success in mobile, even at EA, was SimCity and in, in Helsinki, Star Wars: Galaxy of Heroes, from the Sacramento team, and I know anybody who's listening that actually worked on that team knows that that was not a smooth uh, operation. But yet they were allowed to actually do what they needed to do to make a successful game. And it's by far the most successful game EA's EA ever made yeah. um, in mobile. Um, I also think that we're starting to see some weakness on Design Home. Um, you know, Design Home, taps that Tap Baseball, kind of represents seventy percent of the revenue over the last couple of months. Um, majority of the rest of their um, their products are just not really delivering all that much. Um, And design home, we're starting to see like they're pumping in more and more, you know, the same amount of downloads every month, but revenue is flatline for the last three months, three or four months. Um, And it looks like if I were to guess that this, you should see declines in revenue from design home um, at the beginning of next year. Um, So again, when design home starts to decline, they really have nothing left to offset and that comes to their pipeline. So, I think personally, and from what I've heard anecdotally, is that their overall game development capacity is very low. Right? They they've lost a lot of people. They've lost a lot of teams. You know, and they went you know from that eight hundred and fifty to four hundred and fifty type people. The majority of those people were developers. The two games they have in in development um, that where they were talked about in the earnings call was Titan World and WWE Universe, both of which are in beta. Titan World looks like the metrics were so horrendous. I mean, they just they I, it just was not a well-designed game. And so it looks like they removed that completely from the store, um as far as I can tell. WWE Universe is actually a pretty good game. I think it's kind of the right idea, but the problem with WWE as a, as a franchise or as a brand is that there's a gazillion games in the store and it's hard to stand out. And so far the monetization looks absolutely terrible. Um so that's not going to really contribute uh as much as I think they'd hoped. Um and Disney Pixar game, it looks kind of far off. I'm not really clear as to what that is, but that's likely not coming out anytime soon. Mm. So in essence, what I see is that the, the comps are tough, right? I think Design Home did extremely well this year. Covet Fashion is holding in there. But, and Tap Baseball has also done quite well. Um, and, but, uh, but they have to replicate the success of Design Home next year. And I just don't think Design Home is going to hold up. And I don't think they have anything in the pipeline that's going to offset the weakness there. Um, and you know maybe it's possible that they do another acquisition i mean i don't know how much cash or you know acquisition capability they have you know but can they really strike like you know lightning twice um and you know we'll see what uh you know what nick and the rest of the team can actually execute against but i think they're in it seems like they're in line for a very tough year next year mm-hmm. in
0: my well, opinion well let me let me take a stab at it as well so you know I was I was kind of looking at the portfolio I can see the same things of course design home you know bringing most of the revenue but MLB was actually really great this year as well and what you can see is yes I do agree that design home seems to be kind of tapped out at this moment but at the same time I was looking where the revenue was coming from and most of the glue games like overall glue's portfolio is generating 75% of revenue from US alone so there's a ton of ton of capacity to grow, actually design home in other markets. Uh, that's, that's what I personally believe. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how it resonates in, in the Asia, but, but uh, definitely in the Western audience, it, it resonates really well. It's really simple to, to follow and simple to play. So I kind of believe that there's there's space there and maybe they will shift more of their installed and in, in localization, culturalization towards, towards the, uh, the Western markets um, and uh, European markets and other ones. Uh, the second part is is the, um, the Kim Kardashian. It actually has phenomenal revenue-to-download ratio. Uh, so I'm not sure how much growth there is, but we, we can see that the growth happens every time when the season comes in. And I don't know, Kim Kardashian is probably on her 25th season already. Um, God bless everybody who watches it. But... Um, but that that seems to be holding up, and 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 so this, the one thing is the revenue. Everything is coming from the U.S., so if they can diversify the revenue sources, especially the countries, that will help out a lot. And the second part was the Disney that you mentioned. Uh, I am not i am not aware of the what the IP is. Um, there they were talking up about the Disney IPs, so which pretty much covers half of the IPs in the world. Uh, but but um, if if it's a good IP, they they should be able to to um to you know. To create a decent game oh and finally i was looking at their downloads as well deer hunter is bringing tons of downloads uh, overall all their franchises is bringing about 20 percent of all the downloads and you know they haven't launched a new deer hunter game in a while so i think there's a, there's a space in in maybe creating deer hunter 2020 uh, that could be a little bit better monetizing because the previous versions were had that csr racing type of you know kind of low low level monetization so so they do have some ips that that are that that are in those niche categories like the mlbs like the hunting like the uh you know well not wwe but but other ones so uh there's possible upside i'm I'm not i'm not i'm not seeing you know that they would, would start declining right away
1: yeah got it, I, I, it seems like you know and from from my perspective it seems like if the strategy is to be more like supercell to work on a lot of prototypes to like really focus on creating a super hit game that Um, a couple of things that, you know, glue management is going to have to be, uh, wary of is that if, if Eric is right and like the current titles start to decline next year, but you're going to have to be more patient against this longer sort of development cycle because you're, you're prototyping a lot. You're, you're, you know, like again, Hearthstone, Fortnite, those types of titles took a really long time to get to market. And I think even, you know, um. Clash Royale was initially prototyped and they sat on it and it kind of improved it over time. So like, if that takes a long time, then um, I, I definitely think there's probably going to be a lot of pressure on this on, on the stock. And secondly, um, it's not clear if, if they're trying to go deeper rather than lateral, then um, at least what we're seeing from modern home uh, to Eric's point, we're not seeing this type of You know, RP growth that you typically see from pro live ops teams that are able to to, you know, significantly improve these products. So the question for me would be, do they have the expertise from a live ops perspective to continue to improve these games and and make them deeper and make them longer lasting over time?
2: Um, yeah, and I, I, one more point about Design Home. I'm, I'm not going to argue. Design Home is like a category category defining game. Like it is a brand new experience that it was very unique. Yeah. And I know some of the Crowdstar guys. Actually, you're good friends with one of the Crowdstar guys. Um, but uh, you know, they did a phenomenal job of that game. But that game is a content treadmill. It's not as easy to maintain as something like um, Clash of Clans or even Game of War to some degree in terms of of live ops. Um, and you have to keep designing more and more content, you know, for you know, that treadmill, right? And yeah. ultimately, you run out of content to build to some degree, um, or it just becomes less and less interesting. So there is a challenge from that perspective in terms of uh, kind of user burnout from the game. But and we, we right. and, and frankly, we haven't seen all that much competitions come up. We've seen the you know that puzzle game from uh, Social Point. Social Point, right? Anyway, um, yeah. that that does that sort of thing but uh yeah i don't, I don't see much competition coming across but you know. so so i would
0: say there is competition but we have to look at it more as a customization or a lifestyle category and when we when we look at the customization category you can see uh love nikki the uh, the 10 cent version of this uh, covet fashion that it's it's on this it, i mean it's on a crazy run right they have i think 15 different versions but the one of the versions is because one for every market, but one of the versions is on on par with Design Home in terms of revenue. Sometimes even capping it. So, uh, when you when you look at Love Nikki, which is which is um you know COVID fashion on steroids, you can see a lot of a lot of innovation coming in and in much more deeper um monetization mechanics that come in through through this immersive rpg gameplay and you know they have everything from merging to evolution that happens through through different pieces of of clothing and so forth so i mean we have full deconstruction on deconstructor of fun of that game but but i would argue that there's ton of of room to improve those games uh to to uh, double their their arp DAO at least but um we haven't seen that happening which is be which been which has been kind of surprising to me because those games have been live for a while and i would assume that they would have you know the, uh, I don't want to say the balls, but, but the kind of like the need to innovate and and improve and and follow what, what the, uh, what Love Nikki has been doing. So, yeah.
1: Um, I want to underscore a point that Eric made earlier, but, you know, so if we kind of look at the timeline here in February, you know, uh, Nick Earl, new CEO, Nick, And Chris Akhavan uh, announced a new strategy. The stock's been going up. And so there's been like a a, a finance or banker's narrative around glue management having executed a significant turnaround. But really, when you kind of look under the hood, and we see, you know, to Eric's point before in terms of how much of the revenue is from Design Home, I think about 30% of bookings. And then when you look at the impact of Crowdstar, which is Design Home plus Covet Fashion was about 54% of Q1 bookings. So that's the majority of, of their revenue then you can kind of see that actually the current management is riding on the wave of the Crowdstar acquisition. And so what, what I think is going to be interesting to see here is to actually see what this current management under Nickerel actually does against the strategy that they outlined. Will they be able to go deep instead of lateral? Will they be able to significantly improve the existing games that they have and will they be able to implement the strategy around a different development model, right? Around prototyping and around um, bringing in key creative leads to, to drive new hit games. And so to me, that's going to be on this new management team. And whether, you know, it, so, so for me, it, like, it really starts from here. And, um, you know, I, I kind of agree with Eric and I disagree with with sort of the investment banking, uh, the, the banker's narrative around what's, what's been hap- happening with Glue. Um, and I also agree with with uh, Eric that when you look at the new title outlook, the pipeline for, you know, the second half of eighteen and twenty nineteen, I, I haven't looked at those games, but um, you know, it, it does seem like it's 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 a little bit risky, uh, ba- based based on you know uh, some of, some of the things that I'm hearing. Anyway.
0: Yeah, you you didn't agree <laughs> with anything that I said, so so that's good. <laughs> Thanks, thanks for the support. <laughs> uh,
1: well, yeah, yeah. no, I, it's, it's, it's fair. It's fair. It's fair.
0: I, I like I like to believe in in the um, you know, I like to be idealistic at some point. So I am I am a little bit of a I am a little bit of a dreamer. But I do know I do know Glue's history, and especially with that they've had their Hail Marys like yeah. twice already. So no, three times, three Hail Marys. So so. I believe that there, there's one coming in just, just when, when their stock price will go to $2 they haven't released in anything in two years. And, and Michael right. comes in with a banging hit like <laughs> top 10 grossing game. And then, then, you know, then I can say I was right.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I think that is a good point. If you look at the history of glue, just how cyclical the sort of boom bust cycles are, are for glue. This is pretty crazy, but um yeah um so any concluding thoughts or other points to discuss, Mishka or Eric? no Maybe I think have,
2: you know like if you if it, you're yeah. really interested in glue, you know um, I would just keep an eye on what's going on with design home because that's kind of their the only way they can maintain their con- current momentum is if design home starts to grow again um, the tough comps kind of start midway through q1 um, and then definitely q2 um, and and you know we'll see if they can pull something out. But it uh, doesn't look good to, from my perspective, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, and I, and I would say exactly it's it's a risky it's a risky bet on glue, but they have done it three times before, so so you know it's, you know, it's and, the same and, thing as
2: yeah. Go ahead. And I, I, what I do love about glue, and I think this was the old CFO, is that he created a most really really uh, detailed analysis of their business um and provide that to wall street and that's really dangerous for a cfo to do because then you have to replicate that and your weaknesses are kind of apparent you know by the amount of information that you provided or the strengths for that matter but um so i i do love the way they report their earnings and and or you know get really deep on that so i thought that was brilliant of of the old cfo yeah so it's easy to track that's what i'm saying
0: where's the old cfo now
2: I, I I really don't know. I I, I should have looked that up. I, I I was going to look that up but I didn't have a time. Well,
0: props to him.
1: Uh, do we know where Nicolo is now?
2: He's on a device some
0: some uh mobile company. Mobile like not on mobile gaming but actually mobile device company. I think they made like a smartphone.
2: Oh, really? I thought he was down in LA hanging out with the Kardashians.
0: Oh. That's what we call a parting shot. <laughs> 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 but yeah, he's a. Yeah, I think they made they made this this big. Um, he made a pretty big splash. It was this mobile device by somebody. I I, I don't quite remember. It was maybe a year ago. But you can Google his name and it will come out. Uh, together with with one of the OGs from from uh from Android Android phone and so forth. So so you know they they made their device. It, it got a lot of presence on TechCrunch as always. Uh, glue and TechCrunch work together like 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 peanut butter and jelly apparently. But but anyways um yeah. Just check it out.
1: So maybe we could close with a prediction, and um, and you know, I, I think it's it's bad to try to predict stock prices and things like that. But just 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 to keep things interesting for our listening audience, betting lines. Uh, <laughs> so the stock price is let's see, uh, trying to find the stock price. stock price is right under six dollars. market cap of about eight hundred and twenty million. So uh, Mishka and Eric, maybe we can hear your prediction for the stock price or market cap for the end of 2019.
0: Can I go first? Cause I'll be more wrong. And then, then, it, <laughs> okay. So, so my sure. prediction is that the stock price uh, by the till end of 2019. So we're talking about more than a year, right? Yeah. Okay. 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 Well, given that their stock price a year ago was below three bucks I think yeah. they're gonna they're gonna end up somewhere so it it I don't know it hard depends on our, on the new launches. So I think they're gonna be at four and a half dollars in in two years, and in three years they're gonna be at um nine dollars. <laughs> <laughs> it's the cycle.
2: <laughs> That's gotta be the worst worst thing i've ever heard i mean that's like the worst prediction yeah. ever i i think that's why i don't work yeah. for banks <laughs> i think the stock will be at around four or a little bit below four by the end of next year mm-hmm. Is my guess yeah right
1: yeah yeah i actually agree with you. I, was, I was i was gonna say 350 to four yeah
0: see we were all in line with that but but you guys are wrong on the on the two years that's <laughs> i got my money on mike <laughs>
2: And for the record, after all the Zynga talk, I, I think there's very, 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 very little chance that anybody would be interested in acquiring this asset, just to be
1: clear on that one. Got
2: it. Yeah, that's true.
1: <sighs> all right. Well, there we go. Twig fourteen, and I I think that's it. Bye, everybody. Bye.
0: Thank you folks for listening to this episode. As always please do leave a comment please do send a note uh we I mean I personally really enjoy getting getting all the uh, all the messages from you um truly powerful stuff and, and please do rate this podcast and subscribe to it whatever platform you're using and most importantly please do keep in mind that all the opinions literally all the opinions expressed in this podcast are our own and do not reflect those of our employers. So Joseph Kim works at NBC universal and I work at the powerful Rovio entertainment and whatever we say is definitely our own opinion. So that's it. Tune in next week. Hope you enjoyed the, uh, this episode and, and the next, next one will be always better. Thanks guys.